0: Hi, this is Dr. Steve Vargo, Optometric Practice Management Consultant with IDOC. And this is another edition of the IDOC Focal Point Podcast. And I have here with me Adam Schmela. And I've been a guest on Adam's podcast, 2020 Money, a few times. So Mm -hmm. we're going to turn the tables here and I've got him in the hot seat. So I'm going to be interviewing him. And Adam, for some background, is a certified financial planner. And he's also founder of Integrated Planning and Wealth Management in my home state of Carmel, Indiana. As a third generation business owner and husband of a practicing optometrist, Adam has a unique perspective and sees the profession of optometry through a lens unlike any other planner in the country. He focuses his time and his efforts on helping ODs nationwide plan life on purpose, personally, professionally, and financially through an engaged and collaborative planning process. So Adam, welcome.
1: Thanks, Steve. I appreciate it. Thank you for being here. It almost sounds like you had that bio provided to you by someone, right? I have a
0: very good memory. <laughs> that all just came. It flowed. Like we were talking about before, it? it just flowed right out. I, I absolutely was not looking at the bio that that you didn't send me before.
1: It, so. It's it's funny though, when you hear someone else read it, the first thing that came to mind is, oh, I gotta read that bio, cause it sounded way too canned. So I'll, I'll work on that, but thanks for the introduction anyway. Yeah, I've, Maybe I've, I'm being um, too self, self-critical, but. <laughs> <laughs> it Maybe it's just the way I presented it. No, it's all on me. It's all on me. That was one heck of a, so with that being said, yeah, thanks for having me on the show, Dr. Bargo. I appreciate it. Great to have you. So why don't we start here? I think there's an
0: area that we've talked about before an area of other ODs' lives that we both touch their professional life and their personal life. I'm sure you've experienced the same thing in consulting. What I find a lot is that people don't necessarily jump right into the issues with their personal life. They hire a consultant and it's all around business stuff. I need to recur- reduce my cost of goods, or I need to hire an office manager, that kind of stuff. And then as you get to know somebody a little bit better and the relationship grows, then they start to get into more of the personal issues. And there's always some kind of personal component or personal goals to the the business. They're very intertwined. You start hearing about how they want more vacation time and more personal time, very intertwined those two. So in your experience in, in working with ODs and practice owners, can you give us some insight into how to build a, how you work with doctors to build a business plan around their personal goals? So
1: I always, I always think about this idea and, and this is around this question as with pretty much anything that we're forced, maybe forces is even, is even the wrong word to use, but in service of what, right? That's the question with every decision that we're making in life, what, what is guiding the decision-making process, the decision-making matrix that we're going through. And and what I mean by that is when we think about this idea of building a practice and building a business, and and this is applicable across the board, right? It's not just specific to optometry and and optometric medicine and the the process of running an optometry practice, it's any business, but specific to optometry, it's this idea that clinicians wear that own their own practice wear two different hats, right? It's the act that the hat of working in the practice as the clinician and providing optometric care. And then it's the hat of working on the business and the working on the business side of it is when you get into a little bit more latitude to ask yourself and define in service of what, what am I building this business for? How do I want this business to serve me? Because what can happen in the absence of you asking that question and being intentional Around that decision-making process, very quickly, this business can, and this is going to sound um, like I'm speaking in hyperbole to say this, but it can eat you alive. And and a phrase that I learned a long time ago from, and it's not the business coach that I work with right now, but it's a a business consultant um, that I followed. And she said, a business and a practice is the most selfish relationship that you will have in your entire life. It will take of you as much as you give it without apology and without recourse. And, and I'm, I'm, I'm almost sure that there is a practice owner listening right now that if they were truly authentic with themselves and truly paused and reflected and said, is my business serving me in the way that I want it to serve me? Or am I at the mercy of what it is asking from me without guardrails, without recourse? I'm sure there's a listener saying, I'm sure there's a listener out there that feels in the latter, right? Where they're just, they're just showing up. It's lather, rinse, repeat, and they're hugging the trees and they really can't see the forest where this comes back in from a personal side is that no practice owner, I can say with a fair amount of certainty, or at least certainly one that I haven't had the privilege of, of sharing a conversation said the whole reason that I started my practice was so that I could work five, six days a week, barely see my family before they go to bed, make a good income, but at the cost and expense of what, right? So we ask ourselves these two questions in service of what? And at the cost of what, right, what is the exchange in what I'm giving up for the benefit of a potentially higher, you know, what should be done even half correctly, (laughs) an optometry practice should provide you a very good income, a very good living. But you have to ask yourself, is the practice that I'm building serving you in the capacity that you want it to? And if it's not, what is it coming at the cost of? And only once you really hit the pause and understand that you that, that the way in which you're doing it is not the only way that you can do it. And then you back into understanding on the personal side of things when you start answering those questions of, I, I geez, it'd be really good to maybe have a week off with my family, or maybe in only be in the practice four days a week or three and a half days a week and have one admin day. And now I'm at, now I have three, you know, three days of the week off, or maybe even I want to shift more from a, clinician OD owner role to, I actually like, enjoy working on the business more than I work enjoy more than I enjoy working in the business. And I maybe like to scale down to clinical care one day a week, just so that I don't lose touch. Right. You, you always want, I, I shouldn't say you always, but it's nice to maintain that boots on the ground approach to working in the practice and maybe you spend the other two or three days working on the practice and shifting more into that enterprise model, that CEO role of your organization, and build an, an, you know, an OSO, an optometric service organization. So my, my point in that is to encourage ODs listening to just give yourself permission to think about what you truly want out of your practice and out of your life. And then ask yourself, is the tongue in your mouth or the thoughts in your minds in alignment with how you're showing up on your calendar? A very harsh, but very true question, somewhat rhetorical, depending on the OD that I'm having the conversation with is show me your checkbook and show me your calendar and I'll show you your priorities. And if those aren't in alignment with what you're show- with how you're showing up. Then one of my all-time favorite quotes, you and I, in in our show, right, we have, we need to have like a meter to, to a scoreboard to keep track of who throws up the most quotes in any type of, (laughs) uh, (laughs) in in any conversation. But one of, if not my favorite all-time quote is, is a deeper variation on the definition of insanity, right. Which is doing the same thing over and over, but expecting different results. Einstein's version of that quote, which is where it came from is no problem can be solved. With the same consciousness that created it. And it's my role as an advisor and as a guide, as a coach to clients to help understand what are the constraints in their business right now. I'm not a practice management consultant, right? I'm not you. And I never will hold myself out to be that person, but I have the ability to look at a practice through the lens of the, of their personal advisor as well and see how in alignment those two are. Does that make sense?
0: It does. Yeah. And it's it, the idea, I, I think getting clarity around what that means to have that level of, of personal freedom, because something that I've, I've noticed, and it's only happened a couple of times in six years of consulting, where obviously people help uh, hire us to help them better run their practice. And a lot of times people reach out, probably similar to, to what you do, people will tend to reach out sometimes when they've waited a little bit too long. And there's areas of their practice that need to be addressed, that need help. It's only happened a couple of times, but there were a couple practices, a couple doctors that after working with them for a period of time did ask a very honest question of them. And the question was, do you think it'd be better to sell your practice and be an employed OD somewhere? Because we just didn't, feel that the individual was willing to put the work in. So it, it wasn't an, air, an issue of, oh my gosh, there's so much competition in your area or a staffing issue. It was the doctor. I mean, just to be blunt, there's a, a handful of times, two or three, where I just didn't believe the doctor had what it took to, to do it. And, and ask just an honest, candid question, do you feel like you would be better off working for somebody else? And the, the, the answer was interesting. They would typically say in these situations, no, I like being my own boss. I don't want to work for somebody else. My first thought was, this is not my idea of being your own boss. Being my own boss, right? (laughs) Yeah. I mean, you are owned right now by your practice. Your your practice owns you. You are constantly trying to dig out of a hole. You're in debt. You're not, you're, you're barely taking home a paycheck. You don't see the light at the end of the tunnel. You're working six days a week. So where I like to start with a lot of doctors is getting clear on the vision. What do you want to build? And I, I like to work within that three to five year timeframe. Cause I always tell people I I'm not smart enough to know what the world's going to look like in 10 years. I, I don't know if anyone does. We all know how quick a year goes by. Yeah. So a lot of times I'll target somewhere that three to five range and tell people just get down old school pen and paper and draw. What do you want the practice to look like three to five years from now in terms of what do you want your revenues to be? How many, employees do you want to have? What do you want your brand to be known for? Do you want to specialize in anything? What kind of music do you want playing in the waiting room? I'm not kidding. Get as clear as you can on that vision and then start working on a plan to get there. And a lot of times that vision will wrap personal goals into it, which it should.
1: It absolutely should. Well, a, a plan without, or a, what's what's the phrase? Um, a dream without a plan is just a wish. Like. You can have all of these ideas, and you can. There's there's a lot of power in visualization, right? The idea of consistently, daily visualizing the success that you well visualize having, and that you want your practice to be. But you need to take it the next the next step further, which to your point, Steve is is writing that down, documenting it, and then I think you would agree with me. It it it's not rocket science. Like it's not a it's not a very very difficult process to engineer quite literally the type of practice that you want to have to serve your to, to serve your personal lifestyle. When you think about it, any business for that matter, uh, and, and especially in a service line of work, like optometry, you're, you're basically constrained by three things, right? Number one, how many hours and how many, how many clinical hours per week do you want to work in the practice? What's your full-time equivalent that you want to be? Number two, how many patients can, and do you want to see in that time? And number three, what is the revenue per patient that you're currently generating? Or to think it another way, in the absence of one of those variables, if you're not sure what those variables are, then start with your target income. And this is where I bring back the the, the, the idea and the why I tell ODs that if you own a practice and you're not going to allow me to talk about your practice. then I'm not going to talk to you about your personal plan because anybody that says, oh, that that's just business. It's not personal. That doesn't fly. It's a two-way street. They're very, very integrated. That's why by the name of the firm, right? It's integrated planning. It's difficult to talk to someone about their money unless I'm first talking to them about their life. So if we go through a personal planning process, there's some alliteration for you, right? If we go through this personal planning process and we determine The the what I would consider to be to be very basic financial planning concepts of future cash flow needs and delta between now and when you're going to retire. How many years is that? What is your current savings rate? What's your current tax rate? What do you project your social security? Like all of the quote unquote basic stuff that I, as a CFP, are back of the cocktail napkin type calculations and, and inputs for me. That's the relatively speaking, from my perspective, that's the easy stuff that gives us the bogey that we need to shoot for. So we go through that entire process and we come up with a number that says, okay, Steve, based off of A, B, C, D, E, F, and G, these are the prioritization organization of your goals, your household income through all sources needs to be X after taxes, right? Let's stay and We'll talk about taxes here in a little bit. So now we now we have now we have a goal, right? Now we have a bogey. I need my practice to produce X in personal income. How do I get there? Well, I want to if you want to work six days a week versus three days a week, and you can see X numbers of patients to order, to order, to earn. These dollars is going to require a different revenue per patient, a different revenue per refraction than someone that is in a, that is in a high volume, low net type practice. And this comes right back to what you're talking about, visualizing and writing out what type of business you want to create. It's not very difficult to do all this, but difficult doesn't, or it's fairly easy to do this, but easy doesn't mean simple. And the biggest, one of the biggest values that I've, that I know we bring to the table and that p- people like us, right? People that are serving in a coach consultative advisor role is the sense of accountability, the sense of tough love and the sense of permission. And that last one is an interesting one because it's, it's amazing how many times it's not necessarily what we do for clients that makes an impact. It's the fact that we gave them permission to make a decision that actually provided the massive impact and so just having that sounding board surrounding yourself with a professional team to help think through these help you think through these decision making processes is what can give you the clarity to take action when the vision is clear the decisions become easy.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah and I think that's a benefit to having people that you work with as well because I, I we get that a lot as well somebody will call up and initially indicate that they have no idea what they're doing. And then they start talking about what they'd like to do. And it becomes clear that they actually do. They just needed that sounding board, somebody yep. to give them permission to go ahead. And, and this, we, what we, we are seeing, we work with a lot of other practices, we are seeing this work. And a lot of times it is the basics. I mean, to your point, I had a, a doctor friend of mine once said, I, I don't know how many fitness and exercise books are out there, hundreds of thousands probably. And he said, I'm going to write my own. And I said, okay, what, what's it going to be about? He goes, there's going to be two <laughs> pages. Page one is going to say exercise, and page two is going to say eat healthy.
1: Are you going to see say? I thought you were going to say page two is going to say see page one. See page one. Maybe that's
0: page <laughs> three. Is see page go review page one
1: and two. <laughs> go back. Point to page being, one.
0: it's sometimes it's just getting the basics right, but also knowing it's not just knowing but executing on it. So a lot of times, I think people are disappointed to find out there's not always some magical answer to their problem, but it's it's perhaps simpler than than they thought it was. When you go back and just look at the basics, people always want to know, like, what's the next big thing we need to do? How do we make a big splash? A lot of times you're not where you want to be just because you're not getting the basics right. Let's go back to that. Get that right. And things tend to,
1: you'll probably start to see a lot of your problems dissipate if you would just focus on the basics and fundamentals. Well, and sometimes going back to the basics, just revising and revisiting which are not really even revising, but just remembering and revisiting what you've already done, right? But, and, and what I mean by that, an example: the retirement plan that you might have started in your practice when you were a cold start, barely doing six hundred thousand a year in top line, might be very different than the type of retirement plan you should have now that you've grown a successful practice, have a ten full time equivalent doctor schedule, doing, you know, two and a half million a year in revenue or whatever that might be. So. So too, as the evolution and life cycle of your practice changes, or I should say just as the evolution and life cycle of your practice change, so too should the financial instruments, the financial vehicles that you're using to align with the, 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 the state of the practice, your del- the, the, the proximity to the end game of what your goals are. The tax situation that you're in, estate and and succession planning conversation. I mean, again, all of these examples, all of these triggers, if you will, can should, can and should cause you to revisit and ask the question: I might not need to add anything new, but do I need to change something that I currently have in my practice? And this is where part of part of what I think is so important for ODs to do. And and here's here's the thing: let me let me give this disclaimer right now. I don't have a secret sauce, right? There's nothing that I do, there's nothing that we do here at integrated planning that is proprietary in nature and otherwise isn't available by opening up any smartphone, pulling up your browser and googling it, right? Google has commoditized all of the information that we, you and I collectively have. The difference and so so what I what I mean by that, the reason I say that is because if you're like, we're giving you the playbook here, my goal is to give and equip ODs with the thought process and the ideas and the concepts to help them make decisions to get to that point of taking action. The challenge with that, though, is that sometimes it gets to the point where they they know enough to know that I'm not sure how to make this decision from this time from this point going forward. And so, if you already have an existing relationship with your advisors, then that's great. Then this is why you lean on them to ask these questions. But what you should do in this process the first time the first thing to do understand what you own. Under when I say own, I'm I'm talking in broad scope the vehicles that you have in your practice from a your retirement plan, your insurance and risk solutions, the buy-sell agreement that you have in place, your operating agreement, tax, like understand what you own is kind of that broad stroke definition and same on the personal side of things. And then make sure that the plan that you have, the, the best metaphor that I've, that I've come up with to explain this is most ODs have a giant hefty sack carrying, a, carrying around a bunch of pieces to a puzzle. And they dump them out on the table once a year, maybe if that, and they try and put it together and they're not really sure how they're putting it together or if it's looking the way that it should. And and my semi-rhetorical question to the audience here, to, to, to the listener is what's the most important thing that you need if you have all your corner pieces and we understand that you start with corners and, you know, edges and things like that. What's the thing that you need in order to put a puzzle together with any sense of confidence and efficiency? You need the box, right? Like, what are we building here? And that's the point of the planning process that you and I are talking about here, that that you talk about and that you think from a bit that, that you that you're discussing on the visualization side of things and the the practice management side. And then it's a it's a it's a passing of the pot, baton, so to speak, between between parties like you and I, where we can complement what you're doing with what we're doing, and we can complement what we're doing and then punt it back to you to say, okay, this is what we need to do. How do we get there, right? If we need to increase patient revenue, based off of the number of hours in the week that the doc- that the doctor wants to work. And they're 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 capped at you know they they don't have the ability to add an extra lane. And so we need to get per patient revenue from 425 up to 550. How do we do that? Because if we take $125 increase times X numbers of patients, right, there are certain KPIs in a practice that without a whole lot of an extra expense can drop straight to the bottom line of a practice owner's PL. And that is the for Lack of a better word, ammunition that comes into play to accomplish all of the personal planning that we're doing. Does that make sense?
0: It does. And let me jump ahead a little bit to a slightly different topic. And, and by the way, you are currently up 2-0 on quotes. <laughs> so I'm gonna be next time you're talking, I'll be googling really cool quotes.
1: Oh <laughs> uh, well, we got is there a prize at the end of this? I don't know. Uh it's Breaking show, right. not yeah. Well nope. played. Well played. Uh <laughs>
0: So it's brag. Yeah. Just bragging rights. So we talked a little bit about uh, the sale and, and we can allude a little bit. If somebody gets to a point where maybe they're not, I would say cut out for ownership, but more likely, because most people are, most people can figure this out with the help of someone or, or get through it. But at the, let's say, let's move forward to the end of the, life cycle of a practice, or rather the point where an owner is ready to, to move on, to transition away from practice and, and sell. Talk to me a little bit about some of the strategies that you work with ODs to reduce
1: the taxes that they would pay on the sale of a practice. It's a good question. And it's probably the single most, from a keep as much as you make filter, like the single most important thing that comes into this equation. I'm, I'm going to assume that this practice owner, first of all, this conversation needs to happen a good three to four years before the year in which the sale is going to take place. And so I'm going to assume that this practice owner understands what I would consider to be the ABCs and one, two, threes of selling a practice, right? It's, it's cash flowing good numbers. It's not declining in revenue. It is, it is an asset that someone would, we, would be willing to buy. Um, uh, we did an episode one time on on 2020 money and when we we brought up the analogy that it's it's not too unlike what you do when you list your house, right? Do you just let everything like do you just let buyers come in and as it is, no, you stage it and, right? And, and, and there are certain things that you do before you sell. There are certain prep action items that you take before you sell to make sure that it is showable to a potential buyer because from a buyer's perspective what we're looking at is the predictability of future cash flow the value the enterprise value in any practice in any asset that we have is from a practice owner's standpoint right what is the value to you as the practice owner right now the only value to you is how much cash can i can i can I extract can i earn from my business model that's it that's the value of why we have a practice, and so a buyer is going to have that exact same mentality. So it's the predictability predictability of future cash flow. Having said that, from a practice owner's perspective, there is something that you want to consider. There are, there are a couple strategies to consider in the years before you sell your practice on what to do with that cash flow. So. One of the most impactful strategies that a practice owner can consider, and we're just talking about the practice right now. If you own your real estate, if you own the building, that is a completely separate conversation that is not going to be tied to the practice sale directly in the context of what we're talking about here. One of the biggest benefits and one of the biggest and most impactful strategies that you can have is to implement and and evaluate whether or not something called a cash balance plan is going to be beneficial in your practice. And a cash balance plan is if, if uh, I'll throw a beer reference in here, right? If um, if Budweiser is a pension, then a cash balance plan is Bud Light, right? It 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 is a what's called a defined benefit plan, but doesn't follow all of the exact rules that a traditional pension. When you think of pension, and you think of pensions from retiring from the school district or from Boeing or. Um, GE right these these big companies that we know had or have pensions we're talking about similar type structure but just again cut from the same claw And so the way in which this works to just kind of paint the paint the high level picture here without getting into the nuanced details is, a pension. The, the, and this is why I say it's important that you have this conversation at least three years before the year in which you sell your practice. And the reason for that is when you implement a cash balance plan, the IRS and the Department of Labor require you to establish this plan. And I'm paraphrasing here off of the, of the, of the, the, the treasury regulations. I'm that you establish this plan with a reasonable expectation that it's going to continue in the future. The generally accepted rule of thumb, and this is not published in any type of IRS guidance, this is going back off of uh, tax law and court case precedents in history, is that you need to have that cash balance plan open about three years. So this isn't a flash in a pan type strategy. You can't put a cash balance plan in place. In fact, we're working with one practice owner down in Texas right now that. Post sale, they're trying to that they're having someone talk to them about this possible strategy, and it's a, it's a classic example of the left hand doesn't know what the right hand is doing, where they're trying to think about implementing this cash balance plan after the sale of the practice has happened. It just won't work. It just does not pass the, the 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 tests that the Department of Labor and IRS has. So you have to have this plan open three years in advance. And what you do, there's formulas, there's testing that goes into this. But basically, what you're able to do, the benefit to the practice owner. Is that in the year in which you sell your practice and you realize a high, a very, very large capital gain, right? You realize, you realize a very large gain. Let's just call it a gain because some of the sale of your practice is a capital gain. Some of it is the sale of your asset. Both have different tax implications, but let's just collectively call those the gain the year in which you sell your practice for a large gain, you can make a contribution to your cash balance plan and basically transfer some of the proceeds from the sale of your practice into a tax deferred retirement plan that does two things for you as a practice owner. Number one is it offsets the gain. It offsets the taxable gain on the sale of your practice. And number two, with that lump sum now protected in a cash balance plan it allows you to have those earnings grow tax deferred just like your IRAs and your 401k's and so that's a double it's a it's a double benefit for the practice owner in doing that but again it comes with intentional planning it's not something if we have a practice owner that calls our office and says hey i heard about this cash balance strategy my first question is when's the sale is it going to be you know in 2021 is it at least going to be in 2023 if not 2024 and if it's already happened, it's kind of one of those do not pass go, do not collect 200, uh, 200 situations, but direct impact from a tax standpoint, that's one of the most impactful where we're talking six figures of tax savings potentially.
0: Adam, you talk about working with uh, f- focusing your time, helping ODs plan life on purpose, which I think aligns with a lot of the things that we're talking about. And there's that connotation there that, that this will be intentional an intentional approach. So tell me a little bit about how an OD would be um, intentional with the income generated from their practice. And my mind initially goes to the perhaps younger OD or younger business owner that, that maybe this aligns with other things we're talking about, but doesn't have that, that plan and isn't approaching this from an intentional standpoint. You probably see more ODs wait till later on in their career to start taking this approach. So maybe speaking more to the younger audience of
1: ODs, how do you approach that with an intentional frame of mind? There's something that happens when people turn 50. You'd be surprised at how many conversations I have with ODs that are either have just turned 50 or 51, 52, where they now do the math and realize that, oh, 60 is less than 10 years away or right at 10 years away. Um, And usually early on in the conversation, one of the things that happens is, gosh, or at some point in the planning process, when we get clarity and confidence around what the implications of the decisions that we're making now are going to mean in the future, inevitably it's either directly or indirectly said, gosh, I wish my younger self would have met you, would have met the younger version of you 25 years ago. Right. So yes, to your point now, well, with that being said, the old Chinese, Oh, this is gonna be three, three. the old Chinese. I knew, <laughs> I
0: knew it was coming.
1: <laughs> you, you already here. I'll, I'll, this I'm, is a layup.
0: I'll give it. I'm to out. You. I'm, I'm throwing the towel in.
1: Oh, you're throwing the towel. Well, no, no. I was going to give you, okay. You know, the quote I'm going to say, right? Start it. The Chinese proverb that says, the when's the best time to plant?
0: Oh, an apple a tree
1: twenty yeah. years. Okay, the, and yeah. the next best time today is, it, is it today? Yeah, we'll split that one right. <laughs> All right, I want okay, 3.5 <laughs> five. I've got there. We go right. But it's it's so yes. What I'm going to be talking about here that where this is going to benefit people is yes. The younger you are, the greater that time is your asset instead of your enemy. What I'm talking about intentionality behind the income that you generate from your practice. Think of your practice, or excuse me, think of your personal plan, hopefully no different than the way you think of your practice. Do you just give your optical department free reign on the inventory and just, eh, just go buy whatever you want? I don't really care. Just, just spend, right? And, and by the way, whatever you spend and whatever's left over, that, that's what I'll pay myself and that's what I'll save right? That's obviously I'm being very sarcastic and very facetious there. That's not the way a good, prudent steward of their practice would run their optical department or fill in a blank, right? And the same thing is true on the personal side of things. It goes back to having a plan. And I know it sounds cliche and I know it sounds boring. And I know it sounds like, oh, just one more personal finance guy talking. Like I get that. But there's a reason why it's cliche. There's a reason why it's common sense. There's a reason why every successful practice owner will say one of, if not the most important, values and, um, qualities that they implemented in their life was letting their savings habits dictate their spending habits. Because I have yet to meet someone that, and and I'm the same way my wife and I never get to the end of the month and say, Oh, this is what we spent. Guess we should save the rest. Like now, could we do that? And could someone do that? I suppose you could, but a, it takes a lot of fortitude and a lot of emotion to have that fortitude to be able to do that and be the consistency of doing that is not very good. And here's another thing that happens. And and we find this happening with ODs regardless of where you're at on the income spectrum, or excuse me, on the age spectrum. My job with an OD is never to be the budget police, right? In the practice or on the personal side of things. I'm never going to be the one that says, Steve, tell me how much you spend eating out per month. What does your entertainment budget look like? How much do you spend on cable? How much like, I'm not the cash flow police. I'm not the budget police. What I am is making sure that we go through and understand kind of like what I was talking about in the beginning. what is the amount of cash flow that we need to take care of what I call the big ticket items, right? How much do we need to be saving in our various retirement plans? If college education is important for your kids, how much do we need to be saving for college education? If you're doing a buy-in with your or if you're if you're going to be buying into a practice either now or in the future, what is that potential financing note going to cost you? Now side note, there should be an income increase. in in exchange for you buying equity in a practice. So what are the big ticket items that we need to save for? And once we craft saving strategies around those and we're letting our savings habits dictate our spending habits, now we can have the confidence and clarity and freedom, for lack of a better word, to, I don't want to say spend at will, but you have more, you're putting guardrails around the cash flow in your practice. And so it's being intentional in telling your savings where to go instead of being reactive to say, oh, well, this is what's left. So I guess I'll save it because that usually never happens. It goes back to show me your calendar, show me your checkbook, and I'll show you your priorities. If savings isn't listed in there, the chances of it finding its way in there are going to be very slim in my experience.
0: Yeah. It's, and that's a good place to wrap up. So much of this, again, it feels like it comes back to, to getting the fundamentals right. I will share a quote. I don't know if I could take credit for it because it's not from anyone famous, which typically that's what, where quotes come from. <laughs> But I heard it last night and it, it, it stuck with me. It was at my 14 year old son's baseball practice and they were working on fundamentals for baseball, fielding Mm ground balls, just the the basics of, of hitting and getting all that right. And one of the kids said, this is kind of boring. It, It was the first practice of the season and they're looking forward to getting to the games and the scrimmages and all that. And the coach said, you want to be good at baseball. You need to be a, become an expert at boring it's point being you need to get the fundamentals down and and, and know it very well. And I just find that that applies to so many different areas of life. So Adam, thanks so much. Again, it's fun. I'm I'm glad I had an opportunity to, to be on the other side of this. Uh, I appreciate everything you bring and all that, the knowledge it's definitely in need for for optometry practice owners and the industry in general.
1: How can people find out more about you, uh, your company and your podcast? So the podcast is 2020 money podcast. So just as you'd be refracted down 2020, 20 slash 20, just go into however you're listening to this, pull up the podcast app, search 2020 money, or you can just search my name. Um, Uh, and and we'll pull up, subscribe to the show that way. Integratedpwm.com, integrated planning, wealth management. So integratedpwm.com is the website, all the information, all the past episodes that we've done in the podcast, white papers, eBooks, a couple of recorded webinars, blog posts, everything that we want. Uh, Again, going back to what I was saying, we want to just give away as much information as possible. The podcast has been the best way in which we've been able to do that. So uh, really would encourage ODs. If anything that I talked about here resonated today, uh, check of the podcast. We really appreciate that. Perfect.
0: Well thanks again, Adam. Uh it's been a pleasure having you here. And thanks for to everyone for listening in to another edition of the Focal Point podcast. We will see you next time. Thank you, Steve. I appreciate it. Thanks for having me on.